PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Just to say it's not really sponsored by anyone, it's sponsored by us, LogRocket, and we're giving it away for free. The podcast is free, the product is not free. There's a free trial, we could split hairs about whether or not that's free to you, but anyway, that's it. There are no more ads. If you're interested and you want us to know that you came from the podcast, please go to logrocket.com slash podrocket. If you don't care, logrocket.com works just fine. Thanks. In the second installment of our Founder Friday series, Ben talks with Screenplay co-founders Tomas Reimers and Greg Foster. They discuss the technical details behind Screenplay, what it's like trying to get funding during a pandemic, and the Screenplay Roadmap. Let's get started. Tomas, Greg, how are you guys doing today? We're good. We're good. We're just uh, just coming out of a snowstorm over in New York City. Yeah, the sun's actually come out, which is kind of nice. Yeah. For once, there is more snow in New York than Boston, which I always, <laughs> always a surprise. Yeah. Well, Tomas grew up in Boston, so yeah. he's familiar with the trade-offs. <laughs> yeah, I find it funny. My family, we always have like a little group message thread whenever the snowstorms come in because they're like, oh, we just got like two feet of snow. And I'm like, it's sunny down here. Um, so it's, it's weird that there's a little bit of a trade-off now. Yeah, well, welcome to our, I guess this is our second ever Founder Friday. So, you know, we're kind of figuring this out as we go along. But the general idea is to talk to founders kind of building early stage companies, mostly in the developer tools space. But if other founders out there are interested in, in being on the podcast, definitely reach out. So you guys are building Screenplay. So could you tell us a bit about what Screenplay so first off, super excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Second off, super excited to figure this out with you. I think like that's a thing that both of us like doing is trying new things and just seeing how they work. So excited for that as well. Screenplay. The shortest version of what we enable you to do are rollback native iOS apps. So when you think about like the web, if you ever push out a bug to the web, it can be a big deal, but it's really not the biggest deal, right? You can sort of code a fix, push that fix, mm-hmm. all the users upgrade instantly, life is good. If you push out a bug to a mobile app, things are a little more painful, right? You have to figure out the last version you released because it's usually not continuous. You need to apply it to that release. Then you need to go ahead and submit it to an app store via Apple or Google, actually get it through there. And then after all that's done, you need to wait for your users to upgrade. And that can be a much more painful process. And so what we do is we take the current version of your app, we package it with the previous version of your app. We deduplicate all the internals so that we don't add a huge amount to your app size. And then we basically give you a server config so you can say, oh, if something goes wrong, just have this behave like the last version mm-hmm. of the app. Yeah, just an instantaneous toggle back. And what we're doing is we're saying, hey, if you have a catastrophic bug for your iPhone app, instead of having that be live for a day or more, you can roll back to the safe version within a matter of minutes. Got it. Yeah, no, very interesting. And for a moment, I want to take a trip down memory lane because <clears throat> I think, Tomas, you know this, but before I, I started working on LogRocket, I worked on a project called AppHub with the, my same LogRocket co-founder, Matt. And AppHub was a tool in the very early days of React Native to instantly update or, or do rollbacks of React Native apps. So definitely familiar with a lot of the developer challenges around updating apps, going through the App Store review, getting users to actually update. And what's really cool about Screenplay is that it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can support any native mobile app, not just React Native, right? Yep. So we do all of the technologies. We do native apps. We do React Native apps. We do Flutter apps. We really work at the level of abstraction that's below the specific framework. And yeah, for the listeners, Ben and I remember we talked back in the days of AppHub. It's funny because now we see that idea is really like taken off in other areas, right? You have like Microsoft Code Push and sort of App Center there. 
And then you also have Expo, which enables the exact same thing for a bit of independent service. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Wedding Scribble is having one for just any service area. And I guess with React Native, you do have the ability to push an update to the app. Mm-hmm. Whereas it sounds like with screenplay, you can roll back. Are you able to do kind of like A-B testing? Like, can you push two versions and toggle between the two versions? Or is that something that would come in the future? Well, that's a good question. I mean, fundamentally, something that, that guides us is we want to make sure we're well within the bounds of App Store review policy, make sure we're following all the rules. And we kind of base all of our logic and ideology around feature flags. So feature flags are often used as a way to gate an individual feature or function. You often wrap it like an if statement and a server will send down for any one user, are they getting A or B? We're taking that same idea, same mechanic, and we're just applying it to the overall app level. But same as feature flags, what's important to us is that whatever functionality could run on the app is present at the time of App Store review. And it's important that when the App Store reviewer is going through, they can review that functionality. We're not sending any code over the wire, over the network. We're not like allowing any private method calls or things like that. So to the degree as you're asking, could you could you kind of A-B test two versions of the app? It's possible, but it would just have to be such that uh, the App Store reviewer would have access to both versions, just like a feature flag. Yeah, that's something I was, I was going to be curious about. Like when we were building App Hub about five years ago now, that rule was still in place that all the functionality had to be available for, for testing. You couldn't push substantially new functionality to the native part of your app. But there was mm-hmm. a carve out in the Apple Terms of Service for updating interpreted code. Mm-hmm. So with React Native, you could update the JavaScript. And I, I, mm-hmm. I believe that's still the case. But they were very clear that you can't update compiled code. But it sounds like since with Screenplay, you're shipping the app with all the potential functionality, it doesn't run into any issues with those terms of service. Yeah. And I think Apple's terms of service are actually even a little stricter than that. It's you can update interpreted code, which would run in a web browser. And so that really like limits it to like JavaScript, HTML, CSS. It's not interpreted code at large. And so Apple is very strict on that. And we want to make sure that we play within the rules there. Mm-hmm. But so far, we've had no problem. We've launched multiple apps, the App Store. Everything seems perfectly sane. So I'm curious to talk more at like a technical level. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit more how it works. How do you install or how do you set up screenplay? What is the technical process for bundling and building your app? And one of my Im- immediate questions was like, does this double the size of my app? But uh, it sounds like it doesn't. So maybe we could talk through some of that. Absolutely. I love talking about screenplay. Whenever I talk about it, unlike other products, I feel like I'm selling time travel. The question is never, do we need this or how would we use it? It's, wait, is this possible? And so there's always there's always the kind of conversation you have to ask of like, is it possible? And we're happy to talk more on that. Mm-hmm. Then there's always the, how do you use it? Like, is this incredibly painful to use? And then after that, like, but would this affect my app size? Mm-hmm. And so to tackle head on, how do you use it? You know, when Greg and I were like scoping it out the first time, one of the things we were really sensitive to was we did not want this to affect an iOS developer's process, right? We really wanted it to be something that someone could just slot in at a company and for it to seamlessly work in the background to help protect you against mistakes that might happen in the future. And so with that, we really sat down, we looked at other developer tools. And I think one of the places we got inspiration from was early days Stripe, which was like two lines of code, you have Stripe up and running. So we, we really pushed ourselves there of like, what are the two lines of code you need to get screenplay up and running? And so for us, that's you go to a terminal, you type brew install screenplay. So we use Homebrew, a common package manager I think most people are familiar with. And then you do screenplay and you just give it your app name and it'll prompt you for a token that you get from our website. But once you do that, it sets it up within the Xcode project and you're good to go. 
Beyond that, you basically have two apps in your Xcode project. You have your original app, which works as expected. You can continue to build. And you have the screenplay version of your app, which builds your app as a dependency. But alongside that, we'll upload that to sort of our secure store of your previous versions of your app, download a previous version of your app, and then bundle those together to create your screenplay build. So what that looks like is really just anyone in the company, one person installed it, but anyone you're working with on the project, they can go to Xcode and they just get a secondary target. They press the screenplay build button as opposed to their original. And it will, as Tomas was saying, automatically do that, saving that old version, downloading the correct versions, bundling together, kind of all automatically. And right there, then you can actually run that on the simulator. You can test it. You can submit that to Apple as you normally would. But uh, we try to keep it as simple as possible. And in terms of the technology to kind of shrink down the bundle size such that it's not doubling the, you know, having two entire versions of your app, how does that work? So, you know, when we were first prototyping this out, we did the stupidest thing, which is <laughs> we stuffed two apps together. We got that shell wrapper that's operating similar to a feature flag and toggle between. The next step is you're getting out is like, okay, how do we how do we do this down? And we kind of went through varying levels of of ease. So there's the simplest things to dedupe, and it kind of gets more complicated. So one of the simplest things we could do was just walk through both the old and new bundle, look for any static files that were the same, move those to a central location, and then simulate back to the expected bundle locations. So any any like stray text files or images or things, we could move them to a share folder, put symlinks in the original locations, and we were able to dedupe those. So that, that gave us what? Like a, what would you say, bump on so when we were originally prototyping this, we created a battery of 10 open source apps, which really helped inform our size decisions. So think like Wikipedia, DuckDuckGo, mm-hmm. Signal. These are apps that everyone's probably heard of, many of us have on our phone. They were really useful for us to be like, oh, these are like pretty normal. We can run through the process and test and see what the numbers Yeah, exactly. Are. So, so that guy's so, like 20 or 30%. Yeah, exactly. So that first like static resource pass gets us about 20 to 30, just but, as great. Yeah, stuff. the next thing, next thing we tackled was probably uh, dynamic frameworks. So, you know, every every app, they import a variety of uh, dialibs or dynamic frameworks. And those actually just sit within a frameworks folder within the app bundle. To the app developers out there, you're probably familiar with this. If you use CocoaPods or Carthage, many of those sort of get imported as frameworks into your application. Exactly, exactly. So those all exist as Mako binary files on your computer. And, you know, we can't do the straightforward, just compare the hashes of those files and do them. We have to be a little bit smarter because they're actually not quite deterministically built. There's sometimes little elements from like the, the exact path on the computer will be incorporated into the binary. Might be a little bit of randomness. It might be a timestamp. So what we do is we actually just parse that binary. We understand it. We look at the headers. We look at the sections and the data. And we make a decision. We say, hey, this is a duplicate of the old and new versions. And then once we know it's a duplicate, we can once again kind of move it in the bundle to a centralized location and update all the references to that. So by deduping the frameworks, we slice off, what, another 30% per se? Yeah, I think that brought us down to roughly 30%. And then from there, it's a lot of miscellany. One of the common examples is if you think about sort of how Apple deals with images within the app, it actually compresses them into a custom archive format, which is a dictionary from like Mm -hmm. name to binary, which is the image. And so what we have to do if we want to deduplicate that is most people never actually update an image under a name. Mm -hmm. What they do is they actually add or remove And so we just need to merge the two. And so that was a matter of sort of like pulling that apart, reading what are the different file types included in here? Are there any conflicts? And if not, just merge the two and then like put them back there. Yeah, what's most describing is what's called an asset.car file. If you make a new Xcode project, you'll often see like an assets special Apple file. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what what the assets.car is. So custom zip, we pulled apart, perform more deduping on that. And then really the the final thing, at that point, we're getting down to 20% roughly 
left to dedupe. And the final bits start getting down to um, static libraries. So, you know, at some level, you're actually down to just the two different executables, the root executables of the app. So one thing you could do is identify static libraries that are shared between the two and dedupe on that level. And you start deduping on the linker level. Even more extreme, you can start deduping on the object file level. So within the actual code of the application, if different code files haven't changed, you can try deduping there. But what we see, and at some point, you can't get quite perfect because you're also expecting any actual app update to have something new. Yeah. So there's always going to be some degree that right. they, can't, they can't dedupe. But we're, I say right now, the apps we run through the system have about an overhead about 20%, 25%, depending on yeah. what they've updated. And I think we have on the roadmap improvements to get that much lower. Yeah, some of those theoretical improvements would push us down to 5% for that battery. That's a scary number, I think, especially when we tell people like, oh, yeah, we can bundle like old and new for only a 5% increase. It's something we have yet to validate, but we see our path there and we're very excited by it. And does that whole build process take place on your servers or is it something you do locally or like in your CI pipelines? One of our driving philosophies is to try and run as much of this on the user's computer. I mean, that's what Xcode does. We have the Mac computer right there. It's honestly a little bit easier for us because it's non-trivial for us to run a large Mac server cluster anyways if we wanted to run the builds. So we keep this all on the user's Xcode. Xcode allows you to kind of call out to arbitrary programs and help manipulate some of the bundle assets while you're doing that build phase. That's where we hook in and we start performing some of these operations. And you see this, if you've ever added a run script phase to your build process, you'll see people will add this for things like modifying the version bundle. You'll see it for cleaning up images. Swift Swift, is one of the most common people will add a a linter to their Swift code just to kind of execute within their builds. We're something very similar. And what does the rollback process look like? So I build my app, I ship it to production. You mentioned a bit about kind of some automatic ability to roll back if an error happens. So how does that work? So the way that you roll back with Screenplay is actually very straightforward. You go to screenplay.dev. There you'll see a list of releases for your application. You go ahead and select the release that you want to roll back. On the right side, you'll see a panel that looks very familiar to anyone that's used the feature flag system. You basically have rows that describe events or rules that you can apply. So for example, you could say iOS 8 users, I want to go back to this version. And then you have one last row which describes, and everyone else that's not covered by the above, they should go to one of these versions. And so if you want to roll back everyone, you'd simply select that bottom row and you'd go ahead and select, okay, roll them back to the previous version. And what would happen is the next time they opened up their apps, it would detect that something had changed and they'd open up in the previous version. Mm-hmm. Nothing too fancy there. It's really, again, just a copy of the implementation of feature flags. We want to keep the interface similar to something people would be familiar with. All the magic is really in the build process. And tell me a bit about the business ar- around the product. So mm-hmm. it's a couple of founders. Both of you are, are founders. And then I believe there's one more founder who, who's not here today. Yeah, we have an amazing third co-founder. He's, a, he's actually on another call right now. <laughs> the business is alive and running named Merrill who's uh, fantastic. We actually, it's funny, we, we've all known each other for, give or take, like eight years. Yeah. Just from various college experiences, classes, internships. We all went to school together. And so you end up meeting each other on campus. Greg and I were project partners in all of our CS classes. Like and every, so everything. <laughs> yeah. And so we've programmed operating systems together. We've done graphics code together. We, we've done too much. And then Merrill was a few years older than us. But he was still involved a lot in sort of the startup community at school. And so we got to know him because we'd always run into him at events, at gatherings, whenever you'd have someone come on campus and speak, things like that. We kind of ways. So we, we were best friends. And we graduated. I went out to San Francisco to work at Airbnb on their infrastructure. It was very cool. And Tomas uh, decided he, he stayed in the East Coast. And he went to uh, New York and started working at Facebook. 
I feel you got a little bit more FaceTime with Merrill. You guys were hanging out. You guys were talking about startups. Yeah, Merrill actually was one of the reasons I moved out to New York the first time. He very much convinced me, like, no, nah, the city is alive and well. It's thriving. There's a startup scene that's growing here that's worth being a part of. And so he was at Oscar at the time. After that, he went to a few startups. And so I moved out here and got to spend some more time with him, which I'm very grateful for. I think, yeah, one of, one of our hesitations was like, hey, we love New York as a city. It's very cool. A little bit of SF, but I think we just have a, we have a soft spot for New York. But it was a question of, hey, is this city right to run a dev tool startup, something that's hardcore, low-level infrastructure focused, or do you have to run that in San Francisco? And I've been honestly so pleasantly surprised. It's been fine. It's been great starting a company in New York. And I actually like helping that movement and bring some hard tech and some hard tech startups out to New York. I think we're seeing more and more people shift from San Francisco and come out to New York. Yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of the recent successful IPOs, I mean, Datadog being one that, I mean, incredibly successful hard tech company in New York and MongoDB, I mean, a couple of really great businesses built in New York. So hopefully it shows that not every company needs to be based in San Francisco to to be successful in the dev tool space. I mean, I honestly think we got, I think COVID's been terrible, but I think in some ways we got a little bit lucky in the sense that it pushed everyone to be very comfortable with remote meetings <laughs> and you know, if it worked, because we work with a lot of advisors or, or companies or beta partners and things who is somewhere in New York, but a lot of them would happen to be in San Francisco or other places. And the fact that everyone is so comfortable just taking a video call, that's like, that's the norm. You just hop on and you can be in five places in five different hours, makes it so much more convenient. I think the alternative would have been what we were expecting, which is just one of us is always flying out to SF and meeting people in person and helping onboard them. And you raised some money recently, right when the pandemic hit, right? Oh, yeah. Fun times. Fun times. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun story. <laughs> uh, geez, it, was, it was crazy. We were working on this. And we, were, we were talking as friends. We're like, hey, I think we should leave our jobs. We should really go for this. And we started the, we started the wheels, started talking to people. And we did the proper seed fundraising round right in like mid-March. It was crazy. We flew out to San Francisco to, to meet investors. We got this tiny little Airbnb because we're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to be beating the pavement all day. We're going to be in meeting rooms and stuff, <laughs> eating free snacks. Like, you know, we're never going to spend any time this Airbnb. And at the start of the week, that was true. And we're going to offices and we're, we're shaking hands. But at that point, it was like people were like, oh, let's bump elbows. Like, let's let's be yeah. safe here. And we're like, yeah, like elbows is safe. We're no going <laughs> 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 like, I started shifting. And by the end of the week, it was like everything was just like a video call. We're in this cramped Airbnb, crouching around a laptop two blocks from a person we're having a meeting with. It's really funny, actually. The part of that week that most stands out to me is I just remember we had this Delta flight scheduled for Sunday because we had decided like, okay, we're going to be there for the week. Then we'll stay for the weekend, say hi to some like friends, angels, advisors, Mm -hmm. all the above. And then we'll come back on Sunday. And throughout that week, we just kept hearing people being like, oh, like when's your flight? You know, my friend so-and-so has a friend, so-and-so who has a friend, so-and-so that heard that like flights might be grounded in the next week and like you might want to move that up. And so we ended up moving our flight up by two days because every day someone would be like, oh, no, this is the day, like flights are going to be grounded in like 48 hours. Like, yeah, so this we're, like, is- we're like, how many more meetings can we fit in before we have to, <laughs> have to like jet out of here? Yeah, so we, we left. I think it's the moment we got to New York, things kind of went under lockdown. We finished up raising over a video. I moved into it. Uh, Thomas and Merrill had lived here, but I moved into just a barren apartment. I'm like sitting on a, on a hardwood floor. Yeah, it was a wild time to start raising. It's one of those things I joke that starting a company during the coronavirus pandemic was not something we could have predicted. And so far, everyone's like, you know, doing a startup, you can't expect it. You can't plan for it. You don't know what it'll be like. 
And I don't think anyone meant this, but I'm not sure. But it's been fun, actually. You know, one of the greatest benefits of starting at the time we did is, you know, one thing, we, there's no FOMO. You know, we, <laughs> I was concerned that we'd be pulling late nights in the office, and we had to play, we'd be telling friends, like, ah, oh, I can't see you, we got we to just keep hustling. No, it's actually, we have all, all the time, I feel like we're snowed in in a cabin writing a novel. You know, we got all the time to, to build up the initial version without any distractions. It's actually been pretty effective. So what does the um, future of screenplay look like? Like what's on your roadmap? You know, what are your plans for the company? Well, I think we have two things we consider. We consider what is the roadmap from a business perspective? And there's also what is the roadmap from what we're trying to build and what we're trying to affect in the tech community. From a business standpoint, we really have two main goals. One is growing the team. We've reached the point where we have a V1 of the product. We're onboarding customers. They're starting to use this product. And we don't actually have bandwidth to run new customer conversations while also hiring, while also running DevOps, while also trying to add new features. This team of uh, Meryl, Tomas, and I at some point is reaching a breaking point. So we've just closed our founding designer, which is amazing. It's one of those skill sets that we don't actually have a very good knack for as founders. And then we're, we're actively interviewing and talking to people to get some founding engineers aboard to help expand that bandwidth. The second thing, again, from a business perspective is really growing the user base. We have a few beta partners who are using this. They're deploying with screenplay. They're having a good experience. But we want to grow that. We want to say, okay, we can have a positive experience with a small number of people. Can we scale that? Can we reach self-serve? Get this in as many hands as possible over the next year. Yeah. And then on the technical side, I think what we're really looking forward to is for right now, we want to say laser focused on iOS. We think that there is a huge, huge, huge opportunity here to make this process just incredible. And we really want to do good by that. I think once we get that done, we really want to then tackle sort of like two different areas. One is bringing all of this goodness to Android. I think it's super duper important. The other one is helping people understand when they should roll back, right? And so that means plugging into analytic systems or if people don't have any, giving them their own where we can then go ahead and we can look at these releases that they've rolled out and say, oh, hey, like this one's problematic. Have you thought about rolling back? And hopefully more than just having the like, oh, I can now roll back actually giving people an ability to say, hey, like we've detected there's a problem. Would you like to roll back and really finishing that engagement? Yeah. You know, when I, when I was at Airbnb, I was lucky enough to work with an amazing continuous delivery team. And we helped bring Spinnaker, which is an open source. I think Netflix created this, an open source tool for doing server and web deployments in a continuous fashion and a really in a really automated fashion. And what we saw that magic that's, I think, really just starting to come to fruition on web that hasn't come on mobile yet is you say, okay, every release, we roll that out and we roll it out in a progressive manner. We do it safely and carefully. We scale up the population who's getting the new version. And then what's more, if there's any issues, detect those errors, say that that's a, that's a statistical regression and roll it back. And you don't even need a human to press rollback. The system can make that call itself. All those kind of different effects lead to a situation where you're minimizing the impact of a bug because you've reduced the number of people it's hitting and you've reduced the time that it's live and in production. That really inspires us. We want to bring that to more platforms than just web servers, such as mobile. So all those ideas, progressive rollouts and automated rollbacks, we'd love to bring that to mobile. Finally, for folks out there that are listening, if they want to learn more, get started with Screenplay, the URL is screenplay.dev, but can you take any existing app and just get started using Screenplay? Or are there any kind of other steps you have to take before getting started? Can you take an existing app and start using Screenplay? Yes, absolutely. We would love that. Mm -hmm. We have tried our hardest to make ourselves work with as many different apps as possible. It should be as simple as going to the website. And if you go there, there's a button to reach out to us directly. And we would love to chat with you. 
Yeah, the current process, we're essentially providing white glove service to any applications who want to get involved right now, because we want to make sure like everything is seamless, everything is smooth. If there's any questions, any hitches, we're there to debug instantly. And I think within the next couple of months, we want to expand that to just general adoption. People don't need to talk to us. They can just install right away. Well, Greg, Tomas, thank you so much for coming on the LogRocket podcast. This was awesome to learn about screenplay. And for folks out there, go check it out if you're building a mobile app. Awesome. It's been a pleasure. Hey, it's Brian again. So it turns out that running a podcast is maybe harder than we thought. And so I kind of want to hear from you. I'm genuinely interested in your feedback. We have to think about new topics, new guests. We have to find them. And don't get me wrong, we can do it, but it's a lot easier if everyone else who's listening helps. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or volunteer to be on PodRocket, we'd like to hear from you. So you can do that by going to podrocket.logrocket.com slash contact hyphen us. The hyphen is next to the delete key if you're curious. If all of that is too long, you can just email me directly, brian at logrocket.com. That'd be great. Also, if you're feeling magnanimous, be sure to like and subscribe to PodRocket. Thank you. Thank you.